so we are here for the third and final session in our um, kind of workshops on marriage. And, um, and so because you showed up on this Zoom call, um, I'm trusting that you are okay with me addressing issues on headship. <laughs> and I just figured that male pastors teach a lot on submission with women in marriage. And so turnabout is fair play and female pastors should be able to address the topic of headship. And just so that you're really at ease, I want you to know that my husband has approved this message. So we're all okay, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So this issue we're talking about tonight, headship in marriage, right? Um, it's one of the most critical issues in your life to get right and to nail down. Um, whether you carry out this God-appointed office in marriage well or not, um, has ramifications for generations. Um, the generations that flow from you, it has ramifications for whether your wife and your children, as well as the watching world, are going to get a picture, an accurate picture, of Christ's love for the church. It's huge. And it has ramifications for whether you're going to fulfill the mandate, the job that God, who created you and saved you, assigned to you. So yeah, it's huge. And it's not just about you're doing headship. It's not just about you're doing a Bible study and devotions with your wife and your kids or satisfying even your wife's definition of what she thinks it is for you to be a spiritual leader in your home. Um, it's not about you're planning date nights and it's not about you're making sure that you're putting outings with your kids on the calendar. It's so much, much more. In Genesis, the book about the foundations um, of how God created us to live life, in that book, when Eve was deceived and she made this horrendous choice to follow Satan's logic, um, versus God's wisdom, God called out, Adam, where are you? So the fall is attributed to Adam. Adam was tasked with keeping the garden, the environment in which his wife and his children, his future sons and daughters, were to thrive. And on his watch... The serpent was allowed in to hang around enough so that he could become friends with his wife. She wasn't even shocked when she, we found her talking to him, right? She was quite comfortable with that, thank you very much. It was Adam who left her vulnerable. He didn't protect her. He didn't bathe her in the wisdom of the word and make sure that her life and the life, their lives together were all about loving God, all about hearing the voice of God, all about obeying God spiritually, physically, and emotionally. So God holds the head of the wife responsible for the outcome in life for his wife and future children. 
In the epistles, we're told for any man to even be considered as an elder in the church, he must have a faithful, godly wife and godly children with a family that's in order and pleasing to God. It's just a given. God expects that. So as a husband and a father, you are responsible before God for this outcome in your marriage and your family. To be called the head means you are in a leadership position. You are the one in charge of the outcomes. It means you must have a vision of where you're going. It means you have to have a vision of why you're going there and how you're going to accomplish the goals and the things that need to be done to get there so that others, meaning at this point, your wife and your children, can actually follow you and follow you to a good outcome. So with that much said, let's stop and pray because this is big. (laughs) All All right, Father. So I would just please, I'm asking you that you would plant some seeds tonight of wisdom, of inspiration in the hearts and the minds of these husbands that will help to bring them into a fuller and higher experience as head of their wife and their family in this life. Lord, would you please release your spirit of revelation tonight because all this is a huge mystery that you want to unveil to them, Lord, to all of us. So God, we're saying, help us. Lord, help us. In the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. All right. Let's bring it again right out into the open that the topic of male headship in marriage with its huge responsibilities and its accountability before God can stir up feelings of anxiety. If you're taking it seriously, it can stir up feelings of anxiety, of inadequacy, of regret, of shame, um, maybe even a sense of exhaustion and, and even dread right? You might come to it internally thinking, God, not one more burden on my soul. Not one more set of expectations on me. Um, Not one more responsibility laid on my life because I am dancing as fast as I can already. So it might be of some comfort to you, maybe, To know that your wife can get caught up in the same internal drama. Thinking about God's mandate to her to be your azer, your helper in life. That is no small, lightweight thing. Um, Making, it's not like, you know, it's about being your helper is making your lunch and encouraging you when you've had a bad day at, at work or Um, you know, making sure that you get some rest time on a Saturday and you're exhausted when you need a little break from the kids, right? It's not that at all. 
she's got to get her head and heart around Azer being a military term, meaning she is to be a valiant and noble warrior at your side. As you mutually, we talked about this in the first session, right? As you mutually set out in the name of Jesus to win the war that's going on on the earth on your watch and to bring in the kingdom of God on your watch. She's to be fearless in Christ, bringing an intervention to you in every challenging situation where without her help, disaster could occur. She's got to wrap her head around and her heart around the fact that the Bible uses the term Azer 16 out of 19 times in the Old Testament, referring to God himself providing help to people. She has no lightweight responsibility before God. So don't fall into that mindset that your wife has this easy job just sort of following you around and, and sort of bearing you know, bolstering you up as you bear this crushing load. She's got quite the set of responsibilities on her um, as your team together. So I'm hoping um, that you will, you'll take the time to listen to the teaching last week to the wives on, on Azer being helper. And that is on the website um, under workshops, archived under the workshop. So feel free to go back and, and, and pick that one up. And I'm going to encourage the wives to listen to this one too. All right, so let's read our really critical um, section of scripture now about male headship in marriage. And then we're going to talk about how to get you out from under what could feel like a burden into a place where it feels like an amazing privilege um, to live out your God-assigned role. All right, while we're doing that, when we read this scripture, I want you, I'm just going to encourage you to do a spiritual exercise. As I read the section of scripture, right, um, let's ask the Holy Spirit to quicken your heart just to catch a word, a special word that he'd highlight out of this passage or a phrase, just short, short phrase, a word, something. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, it will be different maybe for each of you. Maybe it'll be the same. I don't know. But Holy Spirit knows how just to highlight in your heart and your mind what it is he wants you to pay attention to because he's going to take that little word and he's going to speak to you about that later. That means it's on his heart for you and he knows it's something you need. So so let's do this. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to thank you for speaking to each one of these husbands now as we read this scripture and highlight, highlight to them what it is you have uh, for them to pay attention to. All right, so if you need to close your eyes to listen to this scripture, it's about 10 verses long, So, but do whatever you need to do to focus so that you can really let the Lord touch you, okay? All right, Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, just um, unmute yourself and just, just speak out some words that popped out at you or some phrases that popped out while you were listening to that. Loving your wife as yourself. Okay, loving your wife as yourself. What else? Sanctify. Mm -hmm. Holy and pure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got that this thing, just in her and holiness and purity. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So, anybody else? I was the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Okay. Okay. The head. All right. So, so if those of you who those words jumped out, they were quickened in your soul and your mind. So just, just hold those because the Holy Spirit's going to want to go more with that. He's going to want to develop that for you. That's why he quickened it in your heart and your mind in the first place. Okay. All right. So in our first session on marriage, we zeroed in on the high view of marriage designed by God as mystery that mere mortals couldn't understand. We can't understand it with our finite minds. Only with God's supernatural revelation, we decided, right, that we can grasp um, that human marriage, which is temporary and not eternal, is something God designed to point to the marriage of Christ in the church, which is an eternal union. So the temporary is to reveal the eternal. So if you come at this responsibility from the perspective of give me my to-do list 
I can check the boxes. I know I'm doing okay. I'm getting the job done. That's where you're immediately going to go off track. If you start there, you're going to put yourself under the heavy load of the law. Do this or you're going to be a failure. Do that or you're not going to get the job done, right? Um, do this and do that or your wife's going to be displeased with you and disappointed in your leadership in the family, right? So the law, putting yourself under the law with that list of the expectations that you've formed and other let other people form for you, the law is all about fulfilling externals. Not a good way to go in your walk with God. It's all about externals. And the law kills. There's nothing life-giving about the law. It just lays a standard that's too high for your flesh to fulfill, and then it watches you collapse under the load. That's the game of the law, right? So if your headship is created in the image of, of uh, Christ, his head, Christ's headship, and it is, right? Then you've got to start in a different place. You've got to start with your eyes on Christ and... You've got to start with the realization that God would not ask you to fulfill a role as high and holy as the purpose of headship in marriage without sending you the Holy Spirit to supernaturally empower you and transform you into the right representation of Christ. He wouldn't do that. He's a good father. He's not cruel. He's going to ask you to do something. He's going to provide what you need to do it. So let's back up. In this discussion about headship in Ephesians 5 to chapter 1 in Ephesians. And let's read something about you that will lift you out from under what can seem like this heavy set of expectations, this law, um, these laws that are placed on you and move you into a place of power and authority that matches what God has already done in your life. I highly recommend that you don't go and open your Bible to Ephesians 5 that we just read out there, right? On headship until you bathe your soul in Ephesians 1 through 4. Headship is impossible without coming into the reality of Ephesians 1 through 4. And that's why Paul wrote it first before he got around to chapter 5 with, um, with the Ephesians, right? So listen to these highlights with a believing heart, right? Listen with a believing heart. Get your, your, your inner being into a state of saying, what I hear, I'm going to believe. Maybe close your eyes again if it helps you focus on what the Spirit is saying. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you again, Lord, that you would minister to these husbands through your scripture and make your word, the living word, come alive in them. All right, listen to these now. Ephesians 1 verse 2. You have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. 
Ephesians 1.3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. Since we're now joined to Christ, superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Ephesians 1, 11 12, through 12. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. So let's look at verses 17 through 23 in chapter 1. Paul's telling you who you are in Christ, not who you have to strive to become. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now listen to this and let the revelation come deep inside of you. Connect what you just heard out of those those verses in, in Ephesians 1. And now we're moving into Ephesians 2. Let it build, connect, connect the dots. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Listen to it in the Passion Translation, and I'm going to personalize the pronouns. Turn on your believer. Get in your believer state. Listen to this. God raised you up with Christ the exalted one. And you ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm 
for you, you are now seated, co-seated as one with Christ. Amazing, amazing reality. If we can even get that revelation, it's like we come back to this and we go, you know, human minds can't get this. It's got to be, you've got to go. It's like when, when, when Jesus tells parables, you know, and, and the, the disciples ask him, he said, why are you teaching parables? Why do you do, why do you do parables? People can't understand it. And he goes, because I need to know how hungry they are. And if they really want it, they're going to go, I don't get that. You know what? I can't sleep because I don't get that. I'm thinking about that. I'm asking questions. I'm tracking with Jesus. I'm coming after him. I am going to understand this, right? That's who the Holy Spirit can reveal truth to. So take these verses and just go, God, my mind just blew up. You know, it just exploded my mind. What do I do with that? Just go deep after it. Don't just let it sit like on the surface of the pond, right? Like a lily pad or something. So you've been brought into your place of dominion. You're already there. That's your place of headship in Christ. It's no longer you. It is Christ who lives in you. And as you learn to live out your true identity, headship will flow like living water to your wife and your family. Now you're out from underneath the law. You are in the flow of the power of heaven. Now receive this, Ephesians 2.22, Passion Translation. God is transforming each of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You've always got to go back to the new covenant, this new covenant, when you think about headship, or you're going to crumble, or you're just going to run away from it. Here is um, one way that we could describe the new covenant with God that you walk in. All right, we're going to start it. Here's the package deal. You chose to receive the mercy of God to save you, and you gave your life to the Lord in return as a living sacrifice, which is only reasonable given the sacrifice he made for you, a life for a life. You agreed to no longer live as a human separated from God. You made that agreement with him. But now to live as a man emptied of self, indwelled by God, living with the same single motivation of Christ on earth, which is to get to the end of your life and be able to say with Christ, through the power of the Spirit of Christ in me, I accomplished everything the Father sent me here to do. That's what you want to say with your last breath. I yielded to his transforming power in my life so he was able to complete the good work that he began in me. And then close your eyes and go to glory. That's the new covenant. The office of headship in marriage is high. It's holy. And you will live it out successfully only as you learn to live supernaturally. 
Everything else is going to be dinking around. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's not human love. It's a level of sacrificial love you can't even approach in your humanity. So here's where you start. You cry out to the real Azer, God himself in your life, for a supernatural, deep, and unshakable revelation of his love for you. Because you can't give to your wife what you don't carry. If you're struggling, loving your wife in a supernatural way, Start with personalizing the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. We're working our way up to Ephesians 5. We're going to get there. He prayed this prayer over the Ephesians before he got to chapter 5, telling husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So listen to this out of Ephesians 3. Get in your space now, okay? Your word quicken me, Holy Spirit space. For this reason, I kneel. This is Paul praying for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, I'm going to suggest to you a path to personal transformation from headship by fleshly works into headship that flows from heaven through you. It involves coming into the presence of the Father for maybe two minutes a day for four 30-day runs and reading the, the epistle of Ephesians once, just once a month, four months in a row. And I'm going to get you a PDF. Um, I'll, I'll send it out either tonight or tomorrow. But I'll get you a PDF of, of what that's going to look like. And, and so it'll just, you know, be easy to follow. All right. So I'm going to work you through part of it now. So for the first 30 days, would you consider 
Just consider falling on your knees to pray a personalized prayer along these lines that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 14 to, through, um, 14 to 21. So that's going to be where you're going to start for the first month. So let's, let's get into that now. So why don't you just pray this out loud with me to get started? You're all muted, so nobody can hear you, and you can, you can just pray it out loud. So close your eyes if that helps you focus. Do whatever it is that makes this real prayer and not just repetition, blah, 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 right? All right. Just pray after me. I humbly kneel before you, my Father. from whom my family, my family derives its name. That out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen me with power. Through your spirit and my inner being, so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. I pray that I would be rooted and established in love, that I would have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for me. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, you are able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. According to your power that is at work within me. To you be glory in the church. and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I'm suggesting that you pray that prayer daily, on your knees, from your heart, for 30 days in a row. Then, after that month is up, and you're going to read the book of Ephesians that in those 30 days. Just six short chapters, right? Then the following 30 days, consider falling on your knees for a few minutes each day, embracing the anointing of Jesus on your life by personalizing Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 in prayer. And I'm sure you know that passage about Jesus saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, right? The anointing. So I'm not going to read that out loud, but I want 
you to just, I'll introduce this to you now and let's pray. Join this prayer now. Pray this now. Right? Same way. Get yourself in your space. True prayer, not parroting. Lord, pour out your anointing on me. And speak your good news to the places in my soul that feel so poor. Bind up any broken places in me that the enemy could use. That he could use to keep me from loving and leading my wife and family in your image. Lord, proclaim your liberty over any places in my life where I'm held captive and bound. Release your favor on my life. And take vengeance against the enemy. For his unjust attacks against me. A man who is redeemed by the blood of Christ. And who is in covenant with you. Comfort all the places in my soul that find reason to mourn. And give me your oil of gladness and your spirit of praise. That I can bring joy to my wife and my family. Let me hear you call me an oak of righteousness. Let me walk in your identity as head of my wife and my family. Building up anything in my wife or my children that is in ruins. Give me your anointing to raise up any former devastations in our lives. And to repair anything that has been ruined in my marriage and family. For the sake of the generations. Amen. So that's your second 30-day run. Just every day, right? Three minutes maybe, two, three minutes. It's longer because we're repeating it. And then the following, the third 30 days, 
personalize God's revelation of what Christ's love is from 1 Corinthians 13 and declare it as your nature. If Christ is in you and you are in Christ, this is who you are. Don't let the enemy buffalo you. Don't let your flesh come up to try and say, I'm who you are, Christ is not. Get out of it, come into this and declare this over your life every day for 30 days. So do this over yourself now. By the transforming work of Christ in my life, I am patient and kind to my wife and children. I am not jealous or boastful. I am not proud or rude. I don't demand my own way. I'm not irritable. I don't keep any record in my soul of being wronged. I'm not happy when I get my way through manipulation. I rejoice whenever truth wins out, whether it was my idea or not. My love never gives up. My love never loses faith. My love is always hopeful. My love, just like Christ's love, endures through every circumstance. Okay. I'm going to share with you a suggestion for that fourth 30-day run a little bit later. But right now, let's look back after this now, where we've been, what we've prayed, what we've decreed and declared. Let's look back at Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, it was Christ's love for the church that empowered him It was his love that empowered him to give himself up for her. Without love, no strength to lay down your life. No strength to give up your life. It took his laying down of his life for her to accomplish the ultimate goal for which he would be accountable to the Father. Here's the ultimate goal for which you are accountable to the Father for your wife. Christ focused in his relationship with the church was to do whatever it took on his part that will result in her, 
his wife becoming all God had originally intended her to be. In It was his life in relation to her that transformed her out of uncleanness, out of a life of unworthy purposes, leading her out of a disheveled and marred life and into a transformation and renewal. So she reached her highest state of being holy and without blemish. That's what a husband's headship, his leadership in marriage, in that marriage relationship is to model before the watching world, the angels, and all the heavenly host. That's what it's supposed to accomplish in your wife. Here's an important question to ask yourself at regular intervals. Is my wife becoming a more beautiful and flawless person the Lord intends for her to be with each passing day under my leadership? Do I see her going from glory to glory in her life by my leadership? Do I see her soul blossoming into the nature of Christ under the influence of my love? Great questions to ask yourself at regular intervals. That's what's supposed to be happening with her under your love under your leadership. It is this God-given motive, this, that goal, that God-given motive for her transformation that will empower you to supernaturally sacrifice for her well-being. Lay down your life for her well-being. So we read in Ephesians 5, that you are to love your wife as you love your own body, and that he who loves his wife loves himself. Here's the deal. It is to your own advantage, your own personal benefit, that you rise up to be the righteous head of your home and to love your wife as Christ loves the church. It is to your own personal benefit. You are blessing yourself in laying down your life for her. Look at Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, and that ESV with me, okay? Which it's one, it's one expression in Proverbs 31. I, I worked with the, um, the, your wives um, last week. We talked about Proverbs 31. So this is just one expression, one picture of a personification of Azer, Azer, helper, to her husband. And this is what it says in verses 10, verse, starting in verse 10. It says, an excellent wife who can find. Now that word excellent is a translation of the Hebrew word kail. And it means strength, ability, efficiency, wealth, a force, an army. It implies able, capable, mighty, noble, powerful, valor, warrior, wealthy, worth. 
an excellent wife who can find. She's more precious than jewels, it says. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Listen to it in the Passion Translation. Who could even find a wife like this one? She's a woman of strength and mighty valor. She's full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for her was greater than many jewels. Her husband has entrusted his heart to her, for she brings him the rich spoils of victory. How did this wife get this way? How did she develop into such a good gift to her husband? Such an amazing, valuable blessing to him. Listen to Ephesians 5 again. This time, listen for the keys to her transformation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you, each one of you, love his wife as himself. The husband of the Proverbs 31 wife benefited himself, loved himself by sacrificially loving his wife. He laid down his life sacrificially to cleanse her, to wash her in the word as a lifestyle, to help her become spotless without blemish in her soul. He nourished her and cherished her. And in doing so, he blessed himself. It was to his own benefit. That word nourish means to bring up to maturity. Bring up to maturity. Nourish. The word cherish means to properly keep warm by nourishing and nurturing. All tender, tender words. 
If your wife, husband, has turned cold towards you, if she's starving for your love and your tenderness, for your leadership in her life, which she needs to take her where she really wants to go, she wants to go into being sanctified, more like Christ today than she was yesterday, more like Christ tomorrow than she was today. If her heart has turned cold toward you, then you're tearing down your house with your own hands. You're destroying your own life. Living out the mandate to love your wife as Christ loved the church, being her head, and leading her into life all depends on whether you will choose to believe who God has made you to be in Christ and Christ in you. If you can't get there, you're dead in the water. It requires you drawing a line in the sand of your life coming into agreement with God's transforming actions on your behalf and changing your view of yourself to match what God has done in you. The other option is that you can choose to go out to coffee with the devil, with the serpent, every day and ask, Hey, so what do you think about what God said about me and his headship thing? Uh, do you think I really have this level of authority on earth in Christ? Huh? What do you think? Do you think I'm capable of loving my wife as Christ loved the church? What do you think, serpent? Do you think um, about the power of the wounds I have in my life? Um, you think maybe they're just too big, too too strong, too deep? Um, maybe the things I've done, you know? Um, don't you think that that's going to hold me back, disqualify me? Don't you think this is a heavy load and that um, I should just sort of start out and and uh, and just skirt the issue, um, see how I can just kind of get by in my marriage, maybe do the best I can okay with my kids. Hey, serpent, what are your thoughts, dear kind and wise serpent? Right? You're going to have those conversations. It's going to sound like your flesh, but you're going to be talking to the devil when you go and revisit all of that. But you're not going to do that you're going to walk in the true image of Christ's headship, loving your wife as Christ loves the church. I want to read you a blog. I'm going to wind up here. I want to read you a blog that I came across from a man, I don't know, his name's Tim Challies. This is my first exposure to him, but I really like him. I would go have coffee with him. I think you would like to go have coffee with him. So to wind up our time tonight, I want to read you this blog entitled How to Love Your Wife as Christ Loved the Church. All right. So just kind of change your position. Just get ready for kind of listening to this blog from our new friend, Tim. <laughs> All right, as a Christian husband, you are not left wondering or speculating about what it means to carry out your role in a way that pleases God and blesses your wife. To the contrary, the Bible provides clear guidance. You are to love your wife as Christ loves his church. 
In the closing verses of Ephesians 5, Paul describes how, out of love, Christ sacrificed himself to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Out of love, he sanctified you to God's purposes, to set you apart so you could live the life God created you to live. Out of love, he purified you so he could put aside the sin that hinders you and instead give you his righteousness. He did this by the word of the gospel and through it, all has a great and final purpose in mind. This is how Christ loved the church. So this is how a husband is to love his wife. Let me tease that out under these headings. Love your wife with a sacrificial love. So under that, this is what he says. Husband, love your wife with a sacrificial love. I think every husband is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for his wife. Wouldn't you? If someone was holding you and your wife hostage and said, one of you needs to die, I'm sure you'd put yourself forward, take me, spare her. Good, it's good. You'll die for her, but will you live for her? This is not a one-time act where you get to go out in a blaze of glory and get written up in the newspaper, but a day-by-day -day dying to yourself for her sake. Are you willing to make those day-by-day -day sacrifices? Will you hold loosely to your time so you can invest it in her? Will you hold loosely to your preferences so you can cede to hers? Will you hold loosely to, um, oh, excuse me, will you let go of some of your dreams so she can achieve hers? Will you be utterly ferocious with your sin so you can be kind and gentle with her. Ultimately, will you live more for her good than for your own? This is not a difficult burden, but a tremendous honor. Love your wife with a sanctifying love. And he says this, Husband, love your wife with a sanctifying love. Jesus died so that he could set apart his bride for service to God. You need to understand that your wife doesn't exist for your pleasure, your joy, or your comfort. She exists first for God. Yes, she has been set apart to you, but only so you can help her to be ever more set apart to God. Your wife exists to bring glory to God by doing good to others. This means your task as a loving husband is to be committed and creative in helping her do this. It's your task to help her unleash her gifts, her talents, her passions, her interests in doing good to others and bringing glory to God. Love her with a sanctifying love, a love that ensures she is set apart to do what God calls her to do and to be who God, call, who God calls her to be. Love your wife with a purifying love. Husband, love your wife with a purifying love. If a wife is to submit, it means a husband is to lead. And a key part of that leadership is leading, guiding, and assisting her along the path to holiness. This puts a call on you to grow in holiness first. 
How can you possibly lead her where you've never been or where you refuse to go? You need to identify your own sin and ruthlessly put it to death. It falls to you to lead the way in holiness, to lead the way in love, in character, in worship, in repentance, in maturity. And then you have the honor of accompanying her as she grows in holiness. Now let's be clear. Holiness is not about correcting all those little flaws and foibles you find annoying. It's not about perfectly conforming her to your will. It's all about helping her grow in purity before God. It's about helping her put sin to death so she can come alive to righteousness. It's rejoicing in who God is making her to be. It's identifying God's grace in her life. It's encouraging her in her spiritual growth and praising and thanking God for every bit of it. It's helping her to be as pure and holy as she can possibly be. Do you love your wife with a purifying love? Love your wife with a gospel love. Husband, love your wife with a gospel love. Christ washes his church with the water of the word, which is the gospel. And in the same way, you are to wash your wife with the water of the word, which is the gospel. This means your husbanding is to be drenched in the gospel. Your love is to be shaped by the gospel. Your voice is to speak the gospel. Your life is to display the gospel. Your need to speak truth to your wife, to lead her to the word of God, to remind her to those, uh, of those precious gospel truths, to pray with her, to worship with her. Are you washing your wife with the water of the gospel? If you do nothing else in your marriage, read the Bible, pray with your wife. Make this a daily discipline. There are few things God uses in richer ways than a husband and a wife together in the word and together on their knees. Love your wife. Love your way with a purposeful love. I think that's a typo. Love your wife with a purposeful love. Husband, love your wife with a purposeful love. Wedding ceremonies are occasions of great joy. But even then, there's always just a hint of sorrow because we need to acknowledge from the very beginning that there will be an end. This is why we make vows to one another that say something like, till death do us part. You may get 70, maybe even 60, maybe even 70 years with that bride. But then one of you will die. And in that moment, the marriage will be over. But she won't be over. Your wife will not cease to exist the moment she dies. No, if she's in Christ, her life will be just getting started. She has a glorious and never-ending future beyond the grave. You need to keep that in view. Your task 
as a husband and your great joy is to help her prepare her to help prepare her for what awaits her in eternity it's helping her become today what she will be fully then it's receiving glimpses of who and what she will be in glory you my friend have the joy of helping her toward that great day. God has chosen and appointed you as the one who will accompany her, who will lead her, who will guide her, who will protect her, who will know her deepest, who will love her, who will know her the deepest, who will love her the best on her way to that celestial city. So live for her. The final section. So resolve to live for her. To sacrifice all you got for her good. Love her with a sanctifying love that's committed to setting her apart for the great purpose God has for her. Love her with a purifying love that helps her put sin to death and come alive to righteousness. Love her with a love that's shaped by the gospel and whose content is the gospel. Love her with a purposeful love that fixes in your mind and heart the great day when she will be all that God has created her to be. Will you even recognize her in that day for all her splendor and for all her perfection? She will be perfect then, unblemished by even the smallest sin, undefiled by even the tiniest trace of depravity. She will be beautiful and radiant and glorious beyond belief. Christ awaits the day when he will present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is his great goal, and he longs for that day. Shouldn't you fix in your mind the image of you presenting your wife to Christ? Here's the wife you entrusted to me. Isn't she radiant? Isn't she beautiful? I've loved her. I've sacrificed for her. I've washed her with the word of your gospel. I've seen her grow in righteousness and holiness, and now I present her to you. What an honor, what a blessing that God has chosen you to accompany her to that place, to that day. I like him. <laughs> so here's my suggestion to you. We'll wind up. Here's my suggestion to you for the fourth month, the fourth 30-day run of falling on your knees for a few minutes a day to pray. For thou, those 30 days, ask God daily these four questions from that humble position on your knees. Lord, how do you want me to love my wife? How do you want to love my wife through me today? How do you want to lead her in ways of life today through my influence? 
How do you want to cover her in the word through me today? How do you want to serve her through me today? And while you're listening, you're asking, you're expecting an answer, take a few notes, jot it down, and then be sure you do the doing. So that's a four-month spiritual journey that I've outlined for you that's going to go a long way in transforming the way your headship will bless your wife and family and represent the love of Christ for his church. So I know I haven't given you a list of to-dos, how to do, I haven't taught you how to do family devotions and how to lead your kids to the Lord, but I believe if you come before God in humble hunger, asking, seeking, knocking, you're going to get what you ask for. You're going to find what you're seeking The doors will open in your mind and in your soul, telling you, telling you what to do and when to do it and how to do it with your wife and your children. These 30 days um, of just a few minutes a day, focused, impassioned, sincere prayer, have the potential to rock your world in a good way with God. Um, and to move you into a richer place of loving your wife and fulfilling what God has mandated for you to do in headship over your your wife and your family. So let me pray for you. Lord, I'm asking you that you would inspire these men these husbands, to embrace their true identity. Lord, give them the clear call with the abundant grace to come into the fullness of your identity in them, Christ, the head of the church, in them. Christ, the suffering servant leader of the church, in them. Christ, love in its purity, in them. Christ, the fulfillment of their identity in them and them in Christ. Holy Spirit, come. Come. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit of counsel and might. Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Fall on these husbands and fathers. Fill them. Baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Send them into their marriages and homes to love their wives as Christ loves the church and to take their empowered, rightful place as head of their wives and families as Christ is head of the church. Lord, I'm asking you to let your life, let your authority for life and godliness in their families flow through them like water. And I ask it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.
was a fire hose and you hung in for a long time. Any, um, we can end here with it. If there's any comments or questions or input you want to give, got a few minutes here. Thank you, Jan. Um, so much to uh, take in. Um, I'm humbled and, um, you know, I'm just really looking forward to the four months that you're, you know, you're proposing. So um, really grateful and um, thank you for the new fresh perspective, even in this short time, um, you, you know, from the beginning to now, uh, the scriptures have taken on new meaning. And um, okay. so, yeah, thank you. Great. Great, great. I think what you mentioned about um, just such a heavenly perspective, like almost living to that day where I keep thinking finitely, you know, it's like marriage here on earth till the day to, you know, death to we part, but it is readiness that you said. And I think that that's kind of mind blowing for me. So that's where, um, yeah, I'll ask God to pick up the pieces and, and try to form something new uh, such that I understand it better. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks, Jen, for also sharing how Ephesians 5 is conducted to Proverbs 31 mm. and the importance of love. Um, and there's some questions I had more on the tactical front, but the tactical stuff will be resolved from praying for that will be resolved more during the prayer time and mm -hmm. downloading and moving things in the spirit and atmosphere so yeah that's oh, good okay. yeah yeah okay well i'll i'll be getting you um that little pdf that that gives you your four-month outline there.